I was mixing up my two metaphors there. Did you see that? I was like, I'm one foot in one column, one foot in the other. One foot in the grave and the other one in another column. I'm sorry. There's many, many scenarios where you don't want to hear the word mull. It reminded me of the line from Star Wars, Grace. Aren't you a little short to be a stormtrooper? Just as much as Jesse was owning the crime scene, Sinead was owning the TV scene. Lovely. That's why they pay you the mediocre bucks. But I forgot about the coldness of the case, which is obviously important. I think we'd call it, what would we call it, like a tepid case? I mean, I did write down at one point how cold is too cold. This podcast was recorded remotely and contains adult themes and language. Hello and welcome to TV DNA. My name is Adam Hemming and I'm here with Grace Chapman and we're here to talk about... um, Oh, what show are we talking about? I can't, I can't remember. Grace, which one is it? Uh, gosh, now you're now you're putting me on the spot. Uh, un, unbidden, un, un, what is it? Oh, Unforgotten! It's Unforgotten! Oh. <laughs> unforgotten. We are going to be talking about the first two episodes of season five of the brilliant ITV show. How are you, Grace? You are right. Yeah, I'm, I'm good, thank you. I'm still in recovery after our live show on Sunday. That was fun, wasn't it? It was a lot of fun, yeah. And now uh, people are still able to watch the live show on demand via the Spaces website, space.org.uk. We'll put a link in the podcast description. But if you want to see what we got up to on our live show, there is still time. I'm still remembering my Happy Valley Mastermind quiz questions. There's one I got wrong that just is haunting me. Which one was that? Oh, now I can't remember. <laughs> In theme of what we're discussing, I can't remember. We'll have to watch the playback and see. Uh, so yeah. let's get into Unforgotten then. Spoilers ahead for the first two episodes. We're covering two episodes at a time. So we're going to be doing three of these special Unforgotten episodes. What I, let's, I mean, I've watched the first four seasons of Unforgotten during lockdown, I think. Quite late to the party in that there were four seasons out by the time I reached it. But yeah, tell us... How? What's your unforgotten journey been? I'm totally the opposite. So I had very lofty ambitions to watch all of Unforgotten in about two weeks during an incredibly busy time at work. I think I got about halfway through season one, which has been helpful because I just really can understand where it originated from as an idea for a TV series. But I'm really coming into season five totally fresh here. Grand. So, oh, there's a knock at the door. It's Matthew Jameson. Hello, we got there. Hello. Hi, Matthew Jameson. <laughs> How you doing? You all right? Good, you okay? Not too bad, thank you. Grand. What are you, what are you discussing today? Unforgotten. Oh, I was out. Yeah, yeah, season five. Oh, where can I watch it? It's not ITV Hub. You can only watch it on ITV Hub. That's rubbish, I can't get it on my PlayStation. Oh, no. There we go. That's the ITVX. You need to sort that out. You need to get that on, on the PlayStation so Matthew Jameson can watch it. You, you're in the middle of a session. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> We'll put a letter in. I'll email, I'll email PlayStation. We should say to our listeners, we're recording a little bit earlier than we normally would. So there's, there's kind of more people about around the space, which is where I am currently working. But yes, what are we talking about? I've forgotten. Again. <laughs> forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we were talking about, well, I was saying, you know, that I've just come into it. But so how how do you feel generally post, you know, Nicola Walker, uh, post NB? Yeah, well, I I mean, I was, because it's a big, big spoiler coming into season five to find out that Cassie Stewart, played by Nicola Walker, is is no longer with us. I still think that the impact of that 
of what happens at the end of season four of Unforgotten would be undiminished by knowing that in advance. When I was watching season four, I think I, I had had it spoiled for me that she dies. But still, when I got to the end, I was like, oh, my God, it's such a brilliant moment in TV. And it, I think it angered quite a few people or shocked. It was a shocking end for that character. I came into this season with an open mind. And I think Sinead Keenan, who's taken Cassie Stewart's, well, taken Nicola Walker's place in, and Cassie Stewart in the team. I think she's done a really good job in these first two episodes. Sonny is still there and the rest of the team are still there. And the format is kind of the star of the show in a way. It is formulaic but I think it's formulaic in a really really good and clever way there's always sort of historic remains discovered and there's always a number of different people who are somehow going to be connected to that deceased person yeah totally I mean if it ain't broke right I mean it's a really good idea for a show the structure does work really well it really keeps you interested I think coming in super fresh I'm like really intrigued by the case there's great writing. I think, yeah, all the characters are great. They're like core police team. I think all the actors are really great. I think some of the suspects, a couple of them, I would say some of the acting feels a little hammy. <laughs> yes, we've talked about the suspects. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it later. But um, yeah, I think it's a, some of that's a little bit distracting for me. But generally, um, I'm enjoying it and I'm really enjoying the tension that she's brought in with her yeah. especially with D.I. Khan I think that's great well should we talk about Sonny and Jessica Jesse James <laughs> it's just a brilliant character name to come in as Jesse James when you know the the sheriff of the has, has passed away new sheriff in town that's what I'm trying to say should we start with Sonny or Jesse let's start with Sonny because he's really the thread that pulls through from the last series so he's he's not doing so good is he at the start I mean, it's understandable. Yeah, I mean, it's such a beautiful relationship between Sonny and Cassie in those first four seasons. And, you know, these uh, quite often in sort of police or detective shows, your two partners maybe don't get on and there's friction and the drama comes out of that. But Sonny and Cassie really did. You know, they understood each other and there was a shorthand to to them. But there's some beautiful moments in here. Like he buys the two coffees at the beginning and leaves one behind. It feels like it's a, a, a goodbye to Cassie. And he's clearly struggling with a lot of things. I mean, he doesn't go home to Sal, his partner, for dinner because he's at Cassie's grave. All sorts of stuff going on. I thought Cassie's grave was gorgeous. The quote on that was written on there. She longest lives who most to others gives herself forgetting. Again, we come back to that forgetting uh, thing. But mother, daughter, copper. <laughs> yeah, that was so nice. It was a lovely moment. And for those who didn't know that she died, it really was clear. <laughs> Because you didn't, when I said I was going to start on forget, Forgotten, you were like, oh, I'm not going to tell you what happens to Cassie. And I knew Nicola Walker wasn't in this one. So I was like, oh, maybe she just goes off on a jaunt. Maybe she's with Catherine Kaywood in the Himalayas. I don't know. But no, she's, the grave really helped us kind of solidify that for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting for Sonny that he's he's been offered Cassie's job multiple times, but has turned it down, even though they've begged him to take it because he just can't face doing that. He can't take her her position. And it was a real power move telling Jesse James that, wasn't it? As he leaves the office, she's like, by the way, did you? And he was like, yeah, multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think I think he is still seeking, he's sort of a bit one foot in, it's a bit of one foot in 
I was mixing up my two metaphors there. Did you see that? I was like, I'm one foot in one column, one foot in the other. One foot in the grave and the other one in another column. <laughs> but I think he does, he is seeking some authority, or at least he sort of wants to undermine Jessie, doesn't he? Because he doesn't believe in her new approach to not taking historical cases seriously. And obviously that was a big passion for Cassie. So he's sort of in between two in that he's... He doesn't want the job, but I, he kind of knows he could do it really well. Well, let's talk about Jesse a bit then, because I think what they really cleverly did was give her this conflict. Just before we move to Jesse, the reveal about the pregnancy, though, in episode two is going to be big for Sonny. He didn't deal with this well, did he? <laughs> I'm sorry. There's many, many scenarios where you don't want to hear the word mull. <laughs> Telling someone you're pregnant is one of them. You're not horrified by it. No, no, I just need to digest it and, and mull. A little mull. <laughs> I mean, I think that Sal has the patience of a saint, really. She obviously knows that he's still grieving and how upset he is. So she's accepting when he doesn't show up for the dinner that she's cooked, despite the fact that she's going to be going away for a few days. But yeah, she's clearly upset when he reacts the way that he does to news of the pregnancy. As someone who's come in new, they don't really let you know how long they've been together. I can't remember... In my head, he had he already had kids, but I think maybe I've invented that or confused it with another show. But I think they are a I think they're a fairly long term couple, I think. Okay. That that helps because yeah, I just wasn't sure on the context of that. But yeah, her wiping the tears away as she starts washing up. It's not great. Anyway, let's talk about Jessie. Yes. So cleverly they've given her a bit of domestic tension. So that she's got something to sort of play off when she's, you know, coming into this this new team. But her husband, we learn, is having an affair and she's quite keen to know who and why in that initial scene. There's, I think there's one line where she says it's a dick move by Steve. And he really is. It's like a dick move all the way through. What he's doing is not answering the phone. He's not showing up, not texting the kids. Not good. Classic dick move. It was a really interesting introduction to her as well. You know, she's got a lot of authority. She's clearly good at her job. She's clearly passionate about her job. But in the first moment we see her, you know, she's being cast aside by someone that she trusts. And I, wa- I kind of wonder what she would have been like on her first day if that hadn't happened. Part yeah. of me wonders if she would have just been exactly the same. It's hard to know. It is hard to know, yeah. I mean, I think what it does is is make us sympathise with her a bit, right? Her husband being a dick. So she comes into this team and she's like, I'm not going to run this team like she did. And she's not that interested, as interested in the cold cases. If it's not a recent murder, she doesn't want to know about it. We don't, and you know, there's pressure, financial pressure from her superiors. Whereas Cassie would be very much of the opposite view that doesn't matter how old the case is, we're going to solve it. Well, the scenes with her mum, I thought, were really interesting, where they talk about her being almost too self-sufficient. And the argument with her husband, she's like, your infidelity is my fault because I'm too smart. Because like he says, you'll always win every argument that we have, so there's been no point having one. I loved that line about, you know, yeah, that it's my fault because I love my job and I'm smart that you've gone and it's it was a great line and actually I was slightly struggling to warm to her a little bit but that line really helped me start to really like her but yeah her mum basically says it's okay to feel like she goes I don't want to be needy and her mum's like but people who love you want to look after you that's important to us and you just don't let us she definitely is a very self as you said self-sufficient independent and sort of refuses to be helped. And I'm sure, I'm sure there's going to be chinks in the armour as we go through this 
this series, which will be really nice to see for the actor as well to kind of have a bit more fun with. Yeah. I love a lot of the briefings and obviously I haven't really seen Nicola's, what Nicola's briefings used to be like, but you know, the fact she can't remember any of their names (laughs) (laughs) is a really nice touch. And also she feels like she's really just going through the motions. You know, they say something to her, she goes, good stuff, something else. Yeah, good. And Sonny's the only one who actually goes, well, hang on, why? Why was she in the chimney? Why? He's the only one that really wants to dig into it. And she just wants to get those boxes ticked. But she's massively distracted, isn't she, by this, you know, seismic change in her life. So it's hard for her to focus on the case fully and, and, you know, learn her teammates' names when she's got all of that other stuff going on. I'm not I'm not heightest in any way, shape or form, but there was one point where she was being authoritarian. It reminded me of the line from Star Wars, Grace, aren't you a little short to be a stormtrooper? What's that? The one with the little wizard boy? <laughs> That's not my quote. I can't claim that. That's Ron from Parks and Rec. That was terrible. Speaking of Star Wars, Mandalorian episode with me and Neil coming very soon. Little plug for that. Love that. Back to Unforgotten. Can we get back to our case, please? Yeah, let's get back to the case. Should we cover the case? Because I think some of what the tension between Sonny and Jess comes through from there. We open the episode, episode one, with a foot, don't we? A leg. Bottom half of a leg. Upper chimney in Hammersmith. There's a mass of human remains that have been sitting on the smoke shelf in this chimney of this house that's being renovated. I think it's being renovated, isn't it? I think we first see sort of maybe, is it Sonny and Fran in there at the beginning? And then and then Jesse James strolls in and she's like, why don't we just take the breast off? As they're discussing how to bring this this body down. There's kind of no time for pleasantries at all. She's like waltzing, waltzing onto the scene and just saying, just pull that down. But I loved her line, I own this scene now. Me too. I loved that. He goes, you know, the, the, the guy who owns the house is like, I own the room you're standing in. She goes, I own this scene. It was so nice. Also loved her not remotely being interested in Sonny's chim chimney suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> the obvious question, could it be could it be Victorian, this body? Chimney sweep? <laughs> <laughs> Bless him. Just as much as Jesse was owning the crime scene, Sinead was owning the TV scene. Lovely. That's why they pay you the mediocre bucks. Yeah. <laughs> right, let's talk about what we've learned about this this body then. So it was small initially, could have been a child, 410, 411, mentioned a couple of times. There talk about the house. There was a long-running family will dispute. So the house was unoccupied for five years, which we later learn is is when we think this body was put up the chimney, possibly squatters involved. And then later on, we learn that it's female, older than late 20s, maybe somewhere between 30 and 60. No underwear. And the, uh, <laughs> well, they talk about the uh, chimney breasts have been covered in plasterboard. So the, the key thing is, how old is this case, right? Because if it's too old, Jesse James doesn't want to consider it at all. If it's she only wants recent murders. And so they're going to date the plasterboard based on its chemical components to try and work out how old it is and get this thing off the books as quickly as possible. I liked how in the first sort of episode, we were kind of becoming closer and closer to, you know, modern times with every discovery that they made. So there was... At first, it was like, this is going to be super old. And then there was the dress, the vintage dress slightly through them. 
but then it you know it appears that it was actually sold in a vintage shop recently so that was just a really nice twist I'm into the case I feel like this young woman is you know it's obviously horrible what happened to her she I think it's really important that we know that she was shot so that's got to be someone with access to a gun which I think will come into play when we think about our suspects yeah we also know she had a c-section right we later find out that she has a son i mean i did the maths on this right she's 34 years old when she was killed oh but hang on no i haven't done the maths right she was 34 when she was killed but that was in 2016 right so presumably we're in 2022 23 something like that and her child is now 24 25 so she would have been a kind of late teenager probably when when she had had her son yeah i mean i'm glad you're doing the maths because i'm certainly not but well, I initially did it and thought, she can't have had a child when she was 10 or 11. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. That's seriously dark. But I forgot about the coldness of the case, which is obviously important. I think we'd call it, what would we call it, like a tepid case? Yeah. I mean, I did write down at one point, how cold is too cold? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like a sort of dishwater that you've you've left for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> But yes, they do find out later on that the vintage dress had a, a label on the hem from a shop that only opened in 2010. And they're able to trace this dress down because it was the only one they sold to 2016. And this is all work done by Fran, played by Carolina Main, who's performed for the Space Theatre before. But yeah, I love her in this. I, Fran is one of my favourite members of the team, I think. She's she's just loved the little looks and moments that she has in the show. And is Fran, remind me, Fran, is that the blonde woman or the dark-haired woman? The blonde woman. Ah, uh, I really like the dark-haired woman, the more sort of roving cop. Yeah, Karen or Kaz. Not sure what the character trait of the lollipop was, but I'm going to just breeze on over that. Okay. Is that something we've seen before? Is she a fan? We've never really delved deep into the backup team's stories, really. They're all brilliant and I love them, but it's always been mostly sort of about Sunny and, and Cassie. So, yeah, so we learned episode two then, we learned that the dress was bought by a Maggie Bowden, but her bag was stolen or her card was used to pay for it, right? The, her bag was stolen on the same day that the, breast, the, the dress was bought. Beep, bop, beep, beep. And then it turns out that she has CCTV footage. She reported it, didn't she, Maggie Bowden? And they didn't get back to her about it. But there was CCTV footage. And they're able, through tracing some other thefts in the area around the same time, they're able to find and identify Precious Falade uh, as the thief and as the essentially our victim, right? And she had a history of drug offences, sex work and theft. Mm, um, yeah, I feel uh, it's. I feel for Precious a lot. I'm not sure how her time on this earth was, and I think that's very kind of. It's classic, you know, crime drama, isn't it? A uh, lost woman, dead. It's very evocative because I think it sounds horrible. I want to find out who did it. There's a sense of justice or injustice about all of this. Yeah, absolutely, and I think they do that quite well in Unforgotten. It's quite often those people who are the victims are quite often people who've not had great lives and yeah it's interesting that you know we'll go on to talk about the suspects but the suspects come from all different stratas of society um you know class race everything and then you, the, the victim is really kind of like the people who who have been for, uh, who have been forgotten if you will adam yeah indeed and we're not going to forget them no now a few other bits before we get to the sort of last bit of the case 
So Karen's quizzing the neighbours, right? She goes and she, she's asking the neighbours about it from around the house. She talks about there being crusties, four or five of them, who were sort of squatting there when she first arrived. Crusty's playing the trance music. Yeah. <laughs> who are these these squatters that we hadn't teased about before? But Trisha, who used to live... No, Trisha was one of the other... Na- I get confused a bit here. Trisha was one of the neighbours who knew a relative of Hazel's whose house it was before she died, right? Hazel was the last owner before the squatters moved in who passed away. And Hazel was the one who was like, "What? why do you need a will? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Love just- Hazel. A yeah. lot of time for Hazel. <laughs> Trisha called this relative of Hazel's and he, he crucially, got a locksmith. So I'm wondering whether we might have met this relative already as one of our suspects, potentially. Who would he have been, though? Well, I was thinking Tony, Lord Tony. Oh, nice. I'm liking that. It's my it's my working theory. But yes, as you say, Hazel didn't leave a will, but she left a letter leaving the house to her elder sister's kids and her brothers contested it. Again, her brothers made me think maybe Tony's one of the ones who contested the will. So yeah, so that's kind of why the house was left unoccupied and why these squatters were able to live there. There's a lot in there, isn't there? So much kind of happens in such a short space of time. That's why I think the show is so brilliant. Because it, whilst you're being taken through the case, you're being introduced to these other four characters and their storylines as well. So taking notes for this is incredibly hard because stuff moves so quickly. But the other thing I wanted to point out, what, my favourite bit, I think, of the first two episodes was the the team working the phones in the mm. office. Just a really lovely sort of panning shot of, you know, they all had their jobs to do and they're all following down different leads but the camera just sort of panned round to each one of them in turn until finally one of them got a next of kin yeah it's that they we get the mother from i think a social worker or maybe someone who put her in care when she was younger and that is a really nice moment because there's a little look to sunny and you know he knows exactly what you know what's happened it's great I, I like that too yeah and then obviously we find out that the mother is the you know the person we've already spent a bit of time with the last two episodes but yeah it does move very quickly I'm but I'm kind of I'm glad you just did that to be honest Adam because that's helped me a lot right. <laughs> <laughs> it can be quite confusing I think the one thing that they've sort of left hanging a little bit is the solicitor files so Karen was talking to the solicitor and that's where they found out some of the information we've already covered. But one of the notes in the files was these calls from someone with the initials LA about dropping off some new keys. And those initials don't match any of Hazel's relatives' initials. So she's trying to pursue that. And she asks the solicitor whether it's OK if they look at the company's phone records. And he kind of has a little bit of a nervous look. I, so I wonder whether that's going to play out in the next episode. I think it has to. I haven't seen a lot of Unforgotten, but I feel like they don't do a lot of red herrings. No, although, you know, usually three of the four suspects are are big red herrings. <laughs> sure, but I mean, like, in terms of the little, it's not like, you know, Poppy won't take a coat off. It's not like that. I yeah. think it's actually going to play out into something. But I really enjoyed the solicitor. He really did the great, like, straight down the line, bland solicitor acting. Yeah, strong. Yeah, it was like, got to deliver this information in as quick as possible. Uh, but then the little look of, oh, you're not going through my calls. I, I enjoyed that. I gave him a little little more, a little bit more to work with there. Time is money. Basically, uh, what we know from that is that there's an, another person outside of the family who was involved in changing the locks. Yes. Okay. And those initials don't match any of our suspects either. 
so again it's just sort of for somebody somebody new that we maybe haven't met yeah anything else on the case that you were you know that we wanted to go over they, they're going to look for the blood and bullet in the house we saw that work taking place i think towards the end of episode two but that might potentially reveal something i think that covered everything and um, helped me enormously there was one lovely moment i love uh, leanne who's the uh, forensic pathologist and she's when well, they're trying to identify the body in episode one she's talking about these new hydration techniques that they could use to sort of work out the fingerprints but it might be a bit pricey and Jesse James is straight in there. We're just going to stop you right there. <laughs> Lovely moment. Right. Should we move on to our suspects then? Please. Okay. So let's start. Should we do them in order, order of when we meet them? Yeah. Now, the first character we meet, the name of the character is Carol, but I don't remember it ever being said in these first two episodes. So in most of my notes, he was Polish Paris boy. Polish Paris boy. Yes. Polish bar- Paris, single, not single. Yeah. <laughs> Lying to his mother. Excuse me. And this was, again, these these sort of things happen so quickly and you're, you, quite often you join halfway through a conversation. So you're not spoon fed by any stretch of the imagination. But the key things that he's Polish, that he's living in Paris, that he ran away from home um, but he tells his mum he's still single, but then he gets into bed with someone and says goodnight. And it turns out he's got a girlfriend who's got two kids. Yes. <laughs> Just keeping up, yeah. And uh, Elise, I think his girlfriend's called, her former partner, Serge, now wants shared custody of the kids. I think that scene, just to, as a little flag, was one of the hammiest. Yeah. I don't know if it was the accents or just the general vibe of the scene. But I was like, wow, this is a bit, it, it felt a bit like no offence to actors doing their showreels, but it did feel a bit like a showreel. Yeah. Well, I was confused by the fact that they had this conversation, which was half in English and half in French. Yeah. Why would they speak in English? They all speak French and they're in Paris. Yeah. And why switch partway through a conversation and then switch back again? It was, it was, I always find that all a little bit odd when that happens. Could he, because we saw his mum, didn't we? And she was not the same person as the guy Lord Tony is married to. However, could he be a son of Tony from another marriage? Uh, he could be. Oh, he's, he's Polish. He, is, he has a Polish <laughs> uncle, yeah. I did enjoy the line the mum gave of, your father and I discussed where we think you're going wrong. Doesn't every child want to hear that from their parent? Yeah. That's when you put them on speakerphone and just walk away and do something else. Yeah, but he's the one that we know the least about, I think, at the moment, isn't he? Uh, I agree. He's the wild card for me. And we all we know is that he ran away from somewhere, ran away from home. So maybe he had a, a reason for running away in 2016. But also has the look of someone who might potentially have been a squatter at some point. Yeah. I, I can see that. Yeah. And that would, would that match with the ages? I think so. Yeah. We need a big, we need a big wall and some string and pictures of the characters. <laughs> we need a flip, we need, what do they have in the office? Like um, a whiteboard. Well, she would have been 34 when she died, right? Are the... you sure she was 34? She looked a lot younger, but maybe because she was just small. That's what they say. She, she was definitely 34 when she died. And that was about, we think, six, seven years ago. Okay. So, yeah, he could have been a, yeah, in his... A young squatter. Yeah. Okay, I like that. I'm buying that. Then the next one we meet is Jay. And I was a little bit confused, always at the beginning of these things. So we see a nurse coming out of a shop and she gets mugged. 
and this young chap comes out to help her. She looks in a pretty bad way, actually. She's blood coming out the back of her head. And I was confused about whether we're supposed to be focusing on the mugger or on the guy who came out to rescue her. But it is our mugger. And I just want to read you my note. I've kind of combined my notes into different sections. So my J notes go, mugger buying fags, vodka and OJ. Mugger, drugs? Muggers do drugs. Mugger has pot noodle dinner in front of phone TV. Ambulance for Cher, druggy mugger and Cher lives. Druggy mugger. Oh, bless Jay. I think Jay's even, you know, he's he's gone wrong. He's 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 been either led astray or just gone astray. But I think he's got a good heart, RJ. So his girlfriend Cher is a drug addict. I want a good square meal for Cher. That yeah. pot noodle, that pot noodle was not enough. And it's not even a TV dinner because they, they watch TV on their phones. I mean, no one should watch TV on their phones, Grace. <laughs> he's got one line, hasn't he, in the second episode where he says something's got to change. Like he's stealing to feed his girlfriend's drug habit. It's not a good situation for him. No, 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 definitely not. It's bad. It's real bad. Towards the end of episode two, the police come for him because what he's been, they found out that he's been stealing everyone's bags somehow. They tracked him there. Yeah, he's arrested for theft and GBH is what they say. And I, I presume that's to do with the the nurse getting mugged at the beginning of the first episode. He's already in the clutches of the law, as it were. And I think we're be- we're being led to believe we've not been told yet, but I'm pretty certain he's Pe- Precious's son. Oh, is that where you're going? Oh, big time. Where are you going? Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think that does make sense. Um, because I'll tell you for why. Because the stealing, the stealing style is the same. Right. Yeah. And I'm wondering at what age he was when he died that he maybe learnt that from his mum as a survival, means of survival. And the age is about right, isn't it? It's 24, 25, he is now. So he would have been sort of 17, 18, I guess, when she died. So, cap- you know, certainly capable of firing a gun. You know, if he's a suspect, would he have shot his own mother? Possibly. I- I'm pretty confident about that. Okay, cool. No, it hadn't, hadn't occurred to me. So, I'm, I'm, yeah, good shout. Well, let's move on to Lord Tony then. Lord Tony Hume, played by the wonderful Ian McElhenney. And we first meet him in Westminster at his doctor's and learn that he's got is he does he have multiple growths is that what's going on he's got some he's got cancer basically isn't he yeah it's not looking good for tony no. but also that doctor really recognize him should we should play where have i seen you before or didn't recognize you with your clothes on but was he in eastenders uh yeah he probably was uh, nabil eluabi is the uh actor's name he's been in loads of stuff from uh top boy he was in the tower which i watched fairly fairly recently yeah he's been in quite a few bits in recent times actually as well so he's always brilliant i think but these are these were different roles to what i was used to seeing with these two actors <laughs> he's, he's quite often nabil is cast as a as a wrong one i mean i've seen him play a police officer before but sort of this sort of well-spoken doctor was was a new turn for him certainly from my perspective and so similarly I... ian McElhinney is very different to the king's guard that he played in game of thrones and the granddad in dairy girls i love to see it but what we learn about Tony is obviously he's got a bad diagnosis and then he, you know, he enjoys volunteering at the local community centre. So we think, oh, good guy, good guy. But then there's a few things that he does. I'm like, not a great guy. Slightly sort of using his power to lean on people. I feel like he thinks he uses his power for good, but but it, it, it does corrupt him a little bit. Yeah, there's definitely 
some inappropriate comments. He's kind of an old school Tory politician, isn't he? And and not particularly, I don't think, sympathetic or likable as a character, um, even though he plays ping pong at the youth club and he's trying <laughs> to raise some money for them. I'm not not loving his character, even despite the fact that he's in a, in a lot of pain. He gets a surprise birthday party, which is nice. Yeah, um, lovely house, lovely dog. So it's all picture perfect for Tony, you know, from the outside. And then he's got this guy, Gripper Den, who is, he's been talking about this chap who was, a, a, I think he's the Labour councillor in his in his area. But I, I wonder whether he's going to play a part. He seems to crop up a couple of times in conversations. And then also his grandson, Will, who has been misbehaving with drunk girls. Will, 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 Will. Very bad. I mean, I liked him, you know, shouting at Will. But I didn't like that he was like, but I'll cover it up. Yeah. What else has he covered up in the past? Hmm. Absolutely. But we learn he's only got three months to a year to live. And he's he's desperate for more time. He tells Dr. Nabil to read the research, find out whatever it costs. He needs more time. And I'm curious about what he needs time to do. What is it that he's got to achieve in this time that he's got left? Yeah, I had that question too. Let's move on to Ballet or Ballet and Chef Dave. Yes, let's. Again, I was like, which which one are we meant to be focusing on here? But they are sort of chef and owner of this restaurant and they are looking for investment to scale up their business. It feels like Dave's quite happy cooking the best vegan dishes ever, whereas Ballet is keen to push the business on forwards and, and earn more money. Yes. Yeah, that's their kind of main conflict, isn't it? He's sort of happy where they are. But I think I I thought the line is you they want to hear talk. I'm just the talent, darling. And I was like, oh, classic chef. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in the in the meeting with the investors, they have a meeting with, with a couple of investors, and they say uh they're talking about the challenges. And she says, I think we've both overcome a lot to get here, to get where we are. And then the kind of future scenes we see start to unpack that a little bit. Um, because Dave is honest about, you know, the challenges that they face scaling up the business. And she says in the car, we next see them in the car, she says, nobody is interested in honesty, Dave. Dave. <laughs> and then it escalates quite quickly to the point where she punches him in the face. I have to say, I found this fight a bit, a bit daft. You don't punch the designated driver. But it was all a bit, it just, yeah, it just felt a bit... I don't know. I just don't know what it was about this fight. I just didn't buy it. I just didn't buy it. Also, he gets a right shiner, doesn't he? I'm not sure the shiner, the punch deserved that shiner. But yeah, she goes for him. And obviously we learn later on that's not the first time it's happened. But what we're learning, obviously, is she's, you know, she's got, she's had a problem with drink in the past, which she's tried to overcome. But she has got some some violent streak or some aggressive streak in her. She calls her sponsor on the phone, doesn't she? And she's like, I'm going to have a large vodka and then another one. And she says, I hit him again. But yeah, he shows up with his bruised eye and she apologises. He says, our life can't just be your life, history, family, problems. Maybe not in that order. It's clear that, that they love each other and he's trying to help her deal with all of that. But she's a handful. Yeah, I think so. I think she's just a bit unpredictable, isn't she? You're trying to upscale your small vegan restaurant. You can't have unpredictability. (laughs) (laughs) At this point in the episode, I think they're talking about the fact that Precious had a mother and a son. And I was like, oh, is Belle the mother? And then immediately we see Jesse and Sonny approaching 
and they deliver the news that her daughter is no longer with us and she goes completely and utterly nuts. Dave sends them out and they go. Yeah, well, Sonny pulls Jesse up on that, doesn't he? He's like, why did we leave? That's It's a murder investigation. We need to be looking at their reactions to this news. But I think she... She had the other instinct that was like, this is a private grief moment that we shouldn't be party to. So that was, again, a nice like bit of conflict between them. They go back in, don't they? And they chat to Belay some more. And we learn that they've been estranged for a long time. And that she doesn't, well, she says she doesn't recognise the house. They think she's lying about that. But she says, uh, yeah, she last spoke to her in 2014-15 because they had a falling out. And they find out that her son is called Joseph. He's very much linked with the J, right? Right. And that he's sort of 24, 25. That's the other bit of news. And that's where my maths went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so she's very much a suspect. I don't think she's my main suspect at the moment. It's either a very good act, isn't it? Or is it a genuine sort of anguish almost of being are being told that news. So it's either, I mean, Sonny doesn't buy it. He doesn't think it's real. But I wonder whether her emotional unpredictability is what caused that that kind of extreme reaction almost. Mm, I bought the reaction personally, but that's why I'm not a copper. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, she's so sad. She must not be it. <laughs> yeah. So the big question then, Grace... Did you have a, a, a thought either at the end of episode one or at the end of episode two as to who who would you put your money on right now? Who done it? Who done it? Yeah. Okay. I feel like I feel like Tony for me right now. I don't trust him, and I think he's good at covering things up, as we've seen. So I think that for me feels the prime prime suspect. It's a different show. <laughs> Silent witness. Wait, what? At the end of episode one, mm. I said I thought it was Polish Paris boy, Carol, partly because we just knew so little about him. And then at the end of episode two, I was thinking, oh, yeah, maybe I do think it's it's Belay now, maybe it's her. But I've decided I'm sticking with my my prediction that it's going to be him, Carol. Polish Paris. Has it, has it in, a, in past Unforgotten series, has it always been one person or has it ever been two? Have there ever been people working together? Cast your mind back, Adam. I think, yes, I think it possibly has. They've, I mean, they've usually all got some sort of secret that gets exposed along the way. You know, there is definitely a journey. There's a reason why there are four or five different people kind of connected to it. And there's a journey or something that they, 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 go, they go through that adds to what's happening in the case. So, yeah, it could potentially be more than one of them, definitely. Okay, that's good to know. Well, we'll see, won't we? So we're we're only watching two at a time and then we're talking. So when we talk, we definitely don't know any further than that. Yes, that's right. Yeah, we're committed to doing that. So all six of all six episodes are available now on ITVX to watch. They come out weekly on the on the ITV channel, but you can get them all on ITVX. So we're gonna watch the next two as soon as humanly possible, and then we'll jump back on and, and record another episode. There's one bit that's annoyed me about the, I think it was the second episode. There was one bit that's just, wouldn't you change your husband's name on your phone from my gorgeous hubby if he cheated on you? Yeah, straight. That's the first thing I do when I was, if I'd been, especially if I'm in texting him that many times. Exactly. I'd be calling him like twat bag hubby or like just twat. I would think I would go with simply twat. 
I would go with Dick Move Steve. <laughs> Excellent. I had to change my ex's name in my phone before with to like don't pick up or like it was something like that. So when he called, I, that's what his name was. All insight there. Yeah, that's good. Smart, good it's smart. She's she's not thought about that. I'll talk to her. I'll talk to Jesse. Yeah. Are you enjoying it? I am enjoying it. Yeah, I am enjoying it. I think it's good. It's kind of like it's not too much hard work. It's not too bleak. Like sometimes crime dramas can be very heavy, but this feels like bearable. And I definitely think that the structure of it, like you say, is just really satisfying. And I know there's going to be so many more twists and turns before we get to the end so that's I'm really looking forward to all of those cool yeah and cracking theme music as well I love theme tune for this really good yeah it's lovely fab thanks Grace all uh, right. if you want to let us know what you think about Unforgotten or tell us what you've been watching you can contact us on the social media tvdnapod or you can email tvdnapod at gmail.com we've got two more episodes of The Last of Us to come out Uh, We're also going to be doing Mandalorian episodes and loads of other shows coming up. And if you haven't yet listened to our Happy Valley series, Grace and I did with Damo, definitely check it out. Don't know how to end it. (laughs) We normally have a line, don't we? No, we've got a line to finish that with. I think what we need to do is to digest it and mull. Let's mull.